0: And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks. DJ Bucky back together again. Buck, how you doing, man?
1: Man, I'm great, DJ. Uh, you may not know this, but in Southern Kale, Monday, uh, July 24th was the official kickoff date for practices for high schools. I don't know Woo! if your son, I don't know if y'all kicked it off down there, but today was the official official day guys have been doing a bunch of different things seven on seven running around but today is the official clock and dj much like nfl training camps uh it happens fast i think i counted maybe 15 practices you got a scrimmage next week Mm -hmm. you're playing and before you know it man you're in the middle of the hamster wheel Uh, i know
0: it's going man it's already here yeah i think we are we start maybe a tiny bit later we're still they're still doing their you know their workouts and conditioning i think they call it like acclimation like oh, a, yeah, that's where we're, This
1: something is Something a, like that. It's a, it's, you get a three-day acclimation, then you can put helmets and shoulder pads yeah. on, and then the sixth day you can begin to clack, clack, and do all the other stuff.
0: Yeah, here we go, off and running. I'm excited about it, man. High school football is the best. We've got college football around the corner. NFL training camps have started to open up. Uh, we mentioned it the other day. We're going to be out on the road hitting some camps. Um, Buck, refresh me again. Where are you going to be
1: uh, for the first day? So I have a few different. I'm going to go see the Minnesota Vikings. Okay. Two times. I'm gonna double back. I'm nice. gonna go one Saturday, then I'm gonna come back again and go another Saturday. In between okay. there, I'm gonna hit up the Niners, and then I also will see the Seattle Seahawks.
0: That's fantastic. I'm going to uh, I'm gonna be at the Colts for the first day. Then I have uh, I'll, I'll hit Cowboys Chargers in there, and then I'm also gonna do Steelers, uh, Eagles. Uh, I believe are the ones I'm hitting back east. So. Uh, be fun. Get in, check in with some people and, and check out some training camps and we'll have updates for you as we report back in here on the podcast. Uh, how was last week by the way? Uh, my boy Marcus was in filling in for me. I was out in Alaska. Was, I'll tell you more about that in a minute, but how was it?
1: Uh, it was actually great, DJ. I got a chance to uh, ask all of my fun fantasy questions. Nice. Uh, how to build a fantasy football team, how to do it, what has changed the landscape and those things. Marcus was great. Like uh, You obviously can, can see why he's one of the best experts in the biz. And so it was fun to have a little bit of a crossover podcast where we talked about team building, but in a different sense. Yeah, I love it. And look, fantasy football is huge. I think people would be shocked to
0: know how many people in personnel departments actually play fantasy football because you've played it with your high school buddies, your college buddies. And even though you've ascended through the National Football League, it's kind of a nice little thing you do on the side. Now, they can't dedicate the the kind of time to their team management that uh, maybe some others in the league can, uh, but
1: it's still a fun way to keep in touch with your friends. Oh, man, it's a fun way. It's a great game. man. I, I feel like the, the NFL has continued to increase in popularity. A lot of it is due to fantasy. You know, mm-hmm. it's due to everybody being able to get into it, whether it's a man's league, woman's league. Uh, you have work leagues, you have all these different things. I have high school kids talking about their fantasy teams and all that. It's just been a great way to increase the popularity because you have more eyeballs on the sport because everybody wants to know what their favorite players are doing. No doubt.
0: Uh, all right. Today on the show, we're going to hit up a little bit of this running back discussion. Jump in on that. Um, also going to uh, talk about these quarterback contracts that could be coming uh, shortly. And maybe if we have time, we'll delve into some college stuff and uh, a couple college players. But I, I do want to start off, Buck. My my trip. Just got back from Alaska. I did this trip with my with my dad. He's a you know he's a pastor. He has a uh, he has a couple of these cruises he does every year. And they gosh, he has like a thousand people on there, uh, to kind of hear him speaking on this one, they had a little football element. So I was on there, did some stuff with James Brown, uh, uh shoot legendary hall of fame, broadcaster at yeah. CBS. And then, uh, and Tony Dungy coach Dungy was on there as well. So it was cool to kind of have some football conversation as you're on vacation, but I wanted, I I wanted to hit you up with two little stories that I heard, uh, from Tony Dungy and get a chance to visit with him and get your thoughts on them. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So, Always trying to figure out the quarterback position we talk about on the pod all the time. We're going to talk about a couple quarterbacks here in a little bit, Um, but kind of what makes those guys great, how you evaluate them. It's one of the most difficult things to do in this job is to evaluate these quarterbacks, try and get them right. If you hit on one, you're set for a decade plus. We've seen organizations wander in the desert for 20 years uh, trying to find a guy that can't Mm -hmm. find him. So when you get a chance to talk to somebody who's been around greatness, I love to kind of pick his brain a little bit. So I, I wanted to get some more Peyton Manning info and, and nuggets. And we've heard so many stories over the years. Um, but this one was one that uh, – actually, I'll give you a couple Peyton stories that uh, that stood out to me. Number one, remember when Anthony Gonzalez was picked, took the wide receiver out of Ohio State? Yeah. So he was telling the story about when he got picked, uh, Ohio State was on the quarter system. So, in other words, for the off-season work, when you come in for mini camps, he he couldn't come in because he hadn't graduated. Uh, You know, their their school Mm -hmm. year had not ended, so you weren't allowed to come to the facility at that point in time. So it frustrated Peyton to to no end. Like, here's a first-round receiver. We got to get him plugged in. We got to get him going. So he's in Columbus, Ohio, which is two and a half hours away. And he had to finish his classes. So he he couldn't leave Columbus. So it's not like he'd go on his free time and come try and find Peyton and do a one-on-one workout. So Peyton would do the off-season day, go through the whole day, go through the practice. He would get in he did all this on his own, got in his car, drove two and a half hours to Columbus. Wow. Gave gave him the install for that day, and then went through the full workout with him to get to get their reps in to get their chemistry done. Then would drive back to Indianapolis get up the next day, do the same thing over and over again. So you're talking about 6 plus hours round trip as a Hall of Fame quarterback just to get on the same page as your rookie wide receiver in the spring. So when we talk about these guys like there's a difference between there's a difference between committed, dedicated and obsessed. Like that is a level of obsession is the reason why he goes down as one of the greatest of all time.
1: It's funny that you said that because last week we had the NFL summit and Tim Grover, legendary trainer of Kobe, MJ, uh, Dwayne Wade, he stood on stage and he talked about obsession and he talked about the greats are not interested. They're obsessed with the process of winning and all the other things. So when you just talk about that little story on Peyton Manning, it, it, it pulls the curtain back on his obsession. His obsession when it comes to, I want to be great. I want my team to be great. I'm going to pay attention to the details. This guy can't get here. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take training camp to him. And <laughs> that's how important it is. And then, DJ, yeah. people people are going crazy about the quarterback series and what Pat Mahomes did. We talked about what Pat Mahomes did, basically a, a, a mini camp install away from the facility. DJ, that's the difference. The great ones, they know, man, champions do extra. And so that is a great example of a Hall of Fame quarterback, a championship level quarterback and what they do. That's what they do all the time. They're obsessed with it.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's just a different level of obsession. And uh, one of the other stories he told that I thought was pretty funny. Uh, who was the tight end with the Colts Pollard? What was his first name?
1: Uh, Marcus Pollard. Marcus, he now works with the Jaguars as a play development. There you go. Marcus Pretty Pollard. Good.
0: So you have to, you have to hit him up on this story and get confirmation uh, from the one coach Dungey told, but he said, you know, he's kind of, a, he's a young tight end. And uh, they're out in the field and Peyton just starts going off on him, just going off on him. You're not here. You're supposed to be there to Coaching him up on where you're not, where you're supposed to be against this look, blah, blah, blah. And he said, he kind of looked at Peyton. He's like, well, the tight end coach, told me the opposite that da. go into this whole thing. So he he goes to coach Denji comes over and talks to him and says like, Hey, what's the deal? He's like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Like my tight ends coach told me I'm supposed to do this. Peyton's yelling at me, tell me I'm supposed to do that. he goes, well, if you want the football, I'd probably go with the quarterback on that one.
1: <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong. I mean, that's, that's how it goes. But you know, The other thing that this sheds light on is the ownership that a quarterback has and how at the highest levels, when you have a franchise quarterback, the head coach and some of those guys, they defer. You Mm -hmm. know, you defer in terms of some things like, hey, well, in in the playbook, it says this. Yeah, but the quarterback likes it this way. And that's not uncommon. We've been at organizations and franchises where you have an elite quarterback. Yeah, he dictates the terms. DJ, I don't know if you've seen some of the stuff that's buzzing in New York. Look, I wasn't buying into the Aaron Rodgers in New York thing, but I'm not going to lie. These clips you, you I'm seeing. Are jumping on board?
0: With,
1: I'm not jumping all the way on board, but I may stick my toe in the water a little bit. But I, look, the clips that I'm seeing with Garrett Wilson, uh, the way that he is like showing up, just the way that the teammates are all in, look, man, it's, it's eerily similar to the way that the Buccaneers were all in on Tom Brady, yeah, the team. And so – We'll see if his body can hold up and he can last, but I will say they are certainly hanging on his every word. He is the Pied Piper up in New York, and you can just see the energy. And I know it's social, and they edit what but you can see. There's a different energy, and I don't know if you've heard, but some of the reports they're talking about Zach Wilson. Might have been the best thing to happen to Zach Wilson. He not only gets a chance to have a veteran play in front of him, but he gets a chance to sit behind a guy that he idolized. And if it's open and sharing – Aaron, well yeah, Zach Wilson's gonna have a chance to rebuild his career and become a better player because he got a chance to sit behind a great one and the great one is willing to share nuggets that can help him be a better player.
0: Yeah, and it would be a legacy play for Aaron Rodgers, you know, for you know, maybe oh, yeah, 10, sure. 15 years after now. If it if it does work out for Zach Wilson, Aaron can uh take some credit for that. So uh no, it does look like a lot of positivity, a lot of positive news coming out of Jets Camp. Uh, I'll give you, uh, one more story from, uh, from coach Dungy and we'll kind of jump in. We'll stay on that quarterback discussion here in just a second. But the other one, you know, I, I talked about all the great players he's been around and the, in, in the, uh, the other great coaches he's been around. But when you hear him talk about Chuck Knoll, who he played for with the Pittsburgh yeah. Steelers, there's like a reverence there. I mean, Tony Dungey is very classy. Mm-hmm. He's always going to, you know, he's always going to be impressive the way he talks about people. But this one just is a different tone in his voice when he talked about Chuck Noll, and, uh, I was trying to ask him about describing his style as a coach and he said you know it's a different little bit different era when you had guys like him and Tom Landry weren't they those guys were not yellers and screamers he said the like the most uh, and this is something I was thinking about you as a coach um the most common thing that coach Noel would say to him was what'd you see in other words mm. you make a mistake Instead of, what are you doing? Da, da da da! You're supposed to be here. You're there. You're supposed to do this. You dropped it. Concentrate. Blah, blah, blah. He would just put his arm on Say, hey, what would you see? And I think that's that's a teacher, right? That's, okay, mm-hmm. you made the mistake. You know you made the mistake. I don't need to yell at you and tell you you made a mistake. But just tell me, what were you looking at? Why did you do what you did? And then when guys can explain that, I think if you don't understand the mistake that you've made, you're going to have a hard time getting better. But I think it's got to be encouraging, and I love your thoughts on this, even just at the high school level. It's got to be encouraging to you when a guy knows what was wrong and what he saw and say, Coach, I saw this, but it wasn't it, you know, I was wrong. Blah, blah, blah.
1: No, those are the great moments. And so it's funny you, you bring up a Tony Dungy story because I have others who have been close to Tony Dungy, and I'm always asking them, like, like, what did he do or whatever? And Chuck Knoll would always come up. So DJ, mm-hmm. then when you start studying Chuck Knoll and those guys teachers and simplicity and repetition and those things. And and so it is that. And when you talk about a, a, a different time, yes, it was a different time, but, man, great coaches transcend every era. And so when you think about this game, the game is is really one where it has to be taught. And so no matter how much you played, you still have to be taught the nuances of the game. And I think what, what Tony Dungy, what Chuck Knoll, what those guys are able to do is to take – the complex and make it simple. And by having that that two way conversation, they're getting buy in because it's about, hey, man, we want to get this right. So how can I help you understand what it is that we're doing? I will say this and we've seen it. When I watch Doug Peterson interact with Trevor Lawrence, I mm-hmm. saying that he's those guys, but the tone with which yeah. he delivers resonates. Trevor Lawrence talks about, man, I'm being taught. Those things, I think as much as I love like the the old school macho or whatever, I think the best coaches have the ability to teach the game and they teach it in a way that it resonates with the players. And sometimes that's a taking your voice down, not being distracted by the yelling and being able to simply explain it because no one wants to go out there and mess up on their own Mm -hmm. unless they're ding dong. Like Mm -hmm. nobody Mm -hmm. deliberately goes out to bust coverage. So, okay, well, maybe. As a coach, I can do a better job of explaining it and meet them at their level.
0: Yeah, the other thing, the other thing that was mentioned, talking about the Bucs and thinking about the defenses that they had there and how dominant they were, he said that the big thing, one of the big things for them was just loafs. And that was like there was such pride in not getting a loaf. And he said to the point where there was a play where Robert Smith breaks out into the open field and Warren Sapp. Tracks him down and tackles him about sixty yards down the field. So they get to the film, and uh, uh, I don't know if it was Tierlink, who was the D line coach, whoever the D line coach was at that time right. for them. Maybe it was Marinelli. Right. Maybe it was Marinelli just as kind of yeah. the DC mm-hmm. in the in the. Uh, or no, he would have been the D line coach. Then you had Kiffin. Kiffin would have yeah. been the DC, but he got a loaf on the play. He, here he ta- he went. Tra- Robert Smith's a track star. He tackles him sixty yards down the field. They said Warren was livid. Like, how can you give me a loaf? I just ran this dude down. He goes, "Well, watch the beginning of the play. So you're not, well, you're not getting up the field. So then you turned it on. He said, if you'd have been playing hard the whole time, you'd have caught him at 40 yards instead of 60." And <laughs> Warren couldn't say anything. But he said there was so much pride in how hard they played, and then it got me thinking of man, another example. If you want to look at the great, potentially the great defenses in this league going into this upcoming season, look and see who has not only talent at the D line position but who has depth so that those guys can play 100 miles an hour at all times.
1: So it's funny that you bring up that like Rod Marinelli and the Tampa defense and all those things. So I don't know if I've ever told you this story. So it, these is my first year as a head coach mm-hmm. coaching high school. And I watched the Cowboys play forever. And I'm just like, man, they play so hard. So part of NFL network duties, I have to go up to training camp and I'm watching them and they're just flying to the ball. I mean, like, I mean like bad out of hell just going. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of practice, Rob Marinelli's walking into the parking lot and I pull him up. I said, hey coach, I, I, I gotta ask you this stuff. I said, look, it's my first year coach in high school, and man, I'm looking at your your guys and why did they how did they play so how are you getting to play so hard? He said, You demand it. He mm-hmm. said, and he because the old military guy, he said, Buck, you demand the effort every play. Mm-hmm. And any anytime that is not up to par, you make them do it over. And mm-hmm. the funny thing that you say about loaves, I wish I could show you my, my script. My script says that, DJ. It says exactly what, oh, I got it right here, DJ, because nice. I just came from practice. Oh, we got So, so up you go, here, you, you, see, effort. You, see, you see effort, right? Yeah. And it talks about 11 defenders running to the ball at all times. I love that. Like max speed, max, max effort. Speed, max effort. A loaf, by definition, and this came from Rod Marinelli and those guys. Any defender passed up by another defender on the way to the ball or any change in speed by a defender before getting to the ball, meaning you're running and then you're like, oh, I got a good – Yeah. Hold on. You have more to give, So that story ties into it. But, yeah, like, Rod Marinelli talked about that. And, DJ, there is just something, too, if you can get a defense to just play hard. Mm -hmm. It ain't always going to be great, but those things – and so when you hear Tony Dungy talk about it, when you see Rod Marinelli and those guys, Lovey Smith, and all those guys that come from that tree, the common denominator is their defenses play hard. And mm-hmm. good things happen when you run to the ball. And so it's just 100. and that, that high standard. And when Warren Sapp used to work with us at NFL Media, he used to talk about their pursuit drill and how they always started practice with a pursuit drill, running to the corner. And it would be like gladiator, thumbs up, thumbs down. But it's you're thinking about pros, mm-hmm. pros. But they still demand the kind of effort that you would demand from pop Warner kids, and so it, it look it it works. It you know it, it's something that has been passed on. You talk about Chuck Noll telling Tony Dungy, telling all those other guys, but it continues to work in this league.
0: One hundred percent. No, it's uh, it is really interesting. The other thing you talked about, um, you know, kind of the the Steelers defense, the greatest defense of all time, all the Hall of Famers that they had, how it was it was an unselfish an unselfish group, you know, so do your job. You mean, how many times it's like you hear Belichick say it, do your job. And like, no, I'm a dominant. You dominate your role. You do everything hundred miles an hour, but you don't get outside of that. You know what I mean? You kind of do your job.
1: It, it really is that. And it's, it's about getting everybody to buy in. It's about trying to avoid the hero plays, but just being one 11th of the defense. And if everybody just does their part, the defense is going to play well, bring effort, bring toughness, know exactly what to do. You're going to have a chance to play good defense. And the depth that you talk about is really critical because in today's game, you can't just play with those four guys up front all the time. you got to have seven, eight, nine guys that can play because then you know I can play hard and I can tap my helmet and get a blow and somebody else is going to come and play just as hard as I play. No doubt.
0: Um, All right, football is back. Celebrate by watching as teams across the league take the field for training camp. Back Together weekend presented by YouTube. With two full days of practices and player interviews, mic'd up moments and fan fests across the league, it's a can't miss NFL reunion. NFL Network and NFL Plus have you covered with the coverage on Saturday, July 29th and Sunday, July 30th, with their additional coverage on ABC and ESPN. Go to NFL.com slash Back Together Weekend for ways to watch. Uh, all right. We teased it about the quarterbacks and some contracts. Maybe they're, uh, they're coming here soon. We shall find out. We're going to talk about that right after this. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower, 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. All right, Buck, let's let's jump into uh, this quarterback chat here real quick. Um, the two out there, I think everybody kind of knows the ones that we're waiting on. Um, you think about Justin Herbert with the Chargers, think about Joe Burrow, uh, mm-hmm. and, and you already had the Jalen Hurts contract that came down. Uh, those seem to be the next two that are on the horizon. And, you know, I, I'm I'm curious to see which, which one gets done first, first of all, but then to see the personnel department and the challenge that's issued. Because I, I almost got to believe once that happens, you know. Because of the chunk of the pie that's going to be taken up with this contract, because either these are going to be massive deals, man, the numbers are going to be huge. Um, it, It changes as we've been, as has been well documented, how you function, how you build your team going forward. But I almost wonder if there's an immediate change in that, hey, coaching staff, guys. We better be spending our time in developing our fifth, sixth, seventh round picks, our undrafted free agents, the guys that we can, we have to unearth some cheap starters here over the length of, of this next contract. Hopefully for both those guys, you're talking about the next 15 years having these guys. So teaching, developing, finding young, cheap starters, they might not have to do it this year, you know, but going to next year, you need to have those guys developed and write a roll.
1: Yeah, you got to develop them, and the game changes because if you're going to pay, let's just talk about $50 million plus for the quarterback, now, DJ, your resources are still going to the quarterback to make sure that that quarterback plays at that level. So we've always talked about the P's, right? And so we talked about the playmakers and pass protection and all that other stuff. But, DJ, the pass rushers. So when I think about, like, your situation with the Chargers, right, and Tom Telesco, Tom Telesco learn at the knee of Bill Polian when you watched how those Colts teams were constructed back then, because you're always influenced by what you're around. It was Peyton Manning, who they paid big money to. The first round picks that they normally expended, wide receivers, think about Reggie Wayne and Marvin Harrison, both first rounders. Dallas Clark, I think, was a first round pick. The left tackles, um, Tariq Glenn and those guys Mm -hmm. were first round picks. And then the pass rushers, Dwight Freeney. Now they found Robert Mathis later. But but they paid him. They paid him. And so you, you just, let's just think about the premium positions you'll spend a first round pick on. They would draft cornerbacks because, you remember, they took Marlon Jackson and those mm-hmm. things. But everybody else, hey, coaches, we got to get in the grass. Yep. We got we to gotta develop them. We're going to play young guys. We're going to do it. And sometimes, DJ, if you're high-powered on offense, then maybe what you want is a little more simplistic defense where you can play young players and get it going. And so mm-hmm. – when we talk about team building, a lot of times you hear us in games talk about complementary football. Well, team building is complementary construction. How do I complement what we have? Franchise quarterback? Well, I'm going to devote the resources to offense with the exception of two or three marquee positions on defense. Got to have multiple pass rushers. Then I got to determine do I want to have the premier corner or a premier second level player? But it has to be that because it can't, all the other stuff has to go to the offense.
0: Yeah. And I think you can schedule your vacations now for the first week of free agency. (laughs) Sit that one out. Those are premium prices. We're not paying premium prices anymore. No No need to.
1: No, we're going to have to do it. And we're going to have to have a plan to get the young guys on the field. And at that point, we've talked about it. When the quarterback is young and playing on the rookie deal, I will pay whatever I need to pay to surround him with big time playmakers. However, Mm -hmm. when I write that check for him, now we might have to skew He's got to elevate
0: some of these guys.
1: Because now he's a de facto wide receiver coach. He got to develop the younger guys. He got to get them on the same page. We now need to take some of that capital that might be going to the wide receivers. Now we got to put that in the pass rush. Because mm-hmm. if my quarterback is what I think he is, we're going to be playing with leads. And so if I'm playing with the lead, I need closers that can finish the game
0: and and one thing to keep an eye on with these two deals, and we'll see again how they how they turn out. I'm curious, I know the number's is gonna be big. I'm curious on the length because one of the things that Mahomes did he did the chiefs a tremendous solid by going so long in his deal, which allowed them to move money around, which allowed them to take care of a lot of other guys in their roster um you know I think I think Hertz was hurts four years I think so I think he was the so player, yeah. yeah I mean the most of these guys. You're confident you're playing well. You want shorter, not longer, because you think the market's going to keep taking off. So from a player standpoint, you're going to probably lobby and fight for three, four years. Mm -hmm. From a team standpoint, man, you're like, I'll write the check, man, but you got to help me out with the years here so we can continue to build up the rest of the roster.
1: Yeah, I mean, you got to have some flexibility. And when you're the quarterback, I mean, you're in essence the bank, meaning when the team has to re-sign somebody, They're always going to restructure the quarterback's deal because that's the biggest thing that you can do when it comes to getting the money to pay other people. And so it needs to be team friendly, but have some things in there that allows you to bar, kind of bar against it, taking a second mortgage out so you can get some of these other players. Yeah, but it's a huge deal. Um, It is important that you do have the quarterback locked up long enough to allow you the flexibility to do some of those things. While knowing that he's going to fight for a shorter term because he wants to get paid, and look, in 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 the end, if I got a marquee quarterback, no one no one haggles for paying for greatness. It's the mediocre, the mediocrity that you don't want to pay for.
0: Yeah, and uh, Nabil put the the contract for Hertz in the chat here. So that was a five year contract, not a four year. It was worth two hundred fifty five million, uh, just over one hundred ten million of fully guaranteed money at the point of signing, one hundred seventy nine million uh, and, uh, for injury. So those numbers are going to get way passed up, uh, as these next two deals come in. So I think it might've been Dak Prescott. Maybe that's who I was thinking of with the four year deal. Yeah. I think, um,
1: I think was, was, was that four year sixty So uh, that's what it, it, it seems like. I think that's, that was the deal back then.
0: Yeah. Four year buck 60. You're right. 126 million, uh, guaranteed. So, um, uh, there you go. That was the that was the deal. So keep an eye on the years. Don't just keep an eye on the money. Keep an eye on the years when these contracts uh, come down. Uh, a couple more things before we get out of here, Buck. Running backs. It's uh, it's obviously been the discussion. I know you wrote about it, but just love to get your thoughts on on where we are as the position. I understand. You know, Austin Eckler's kind of been the driving force trying to get these guys organized, get them together. I just. I mean, in Saquon's, you know, I think Josh Jacobs just left Vegas, so he might not be out there in time. Saquon's going through his deal. He's had a lot to say. Austin's been incredibly frustrated. Um, I just, at the end of the day,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: it's not saying we don't think running backs are important or running backs have a tremendous role on their teams and they can win games for you. They have no leverage. I don't know how else to say it. I feel bad for them. I do. But if you're a team, there's no there's no reason for you to nudge. You have
1: every ounce of leverage on your side. Yeah, you have every ounce of leverage and I understand it. Here's what I say because there, there are a couple of different things when it comes to the run, running back stuff and I think it's important to make distinctions when it comes to it. Okay, so you have a faction of folks that never want to pay the running back. And I, have, I actually understand and get that. But then what you have is People that not only they don't want to pay him, they don't want to draft him early. Mm-hmm. And what I would contend I disagree with that. I, yeah, I'll, I'll and so, with that. No. And so what I would contend is if you tell me that I can get a B. John Robinson in the draft, right? And I could take the Saquon Barkley approach. I have him for five years on his original deal. I have two franchise tags in my pocket, which now takes me to seven years. DJ. I can't really think of a running back that has been elite in years eight, nine, 10 at the position. It just doesn't happen in the game. So, my thing would be take the most talented player high, knowing that this is a seven year deal. And at the end of seven years, I'm not going to pay him. I'm not going to go above and beyond that. The issue that can come about is when you take lower round guys, I'll say this you may get a lesser talent, but they also come up sooner. And so you have to kinda do that. If you're gonna take a later round pick, to me is, hey, I'm gonna take one, but I'm gonna draft one every year. And I just know I'm never gonna pay him. And everyone in the building has to be okay with that. So my Mm -hmm. thing is just the nuances between the approach. I'm not saying that you have to pay them Todd Gurley money. What I'm saying is take a really good one in the first round. And do it. And I've seen this because people brought this up. I think Tyler uh, Algiers and Christian McCaffrey, I think the rushing yards were the same. People saying, like, hey, you're paying X million per rushing yard for McCaffrey and such and such thousand for that. The only thing I would say in terms of stat gazing, be careful because it's a bigger impact that also goes on when you're looking at the position. When Christian McCaffrey breaks the huddle, you treat him differently than yeah. you would have so some of that is that now you can debate whether you want to pay that much premium for how the defense reacts but there's a difference between some of those guys that we're talking about with the numbers and other guys that may be putting up comparable statistics
0: yeah and i think to your earlier point i mean derrick henry this was he came off his seventh year and he had 1500 yard season now two things on that his first two years he did not get a ton of carries, so he didn't have, I mean, obviously tremendous tread on his tires coming out of college, but Mm -hmm. his first two years in the NFL, he didn't get worn down. And the other thing is he's a physical freak. Like he's, he is Calvin Johnson, whatever you want to say, like those guys don't come into the league, but every 10 years that are that much different physically than everybody else that plays their position. He's a unicorn. Um, But the vast majority of guys, once you get beyond that time, that seven years, it doesn't go great. So those are just kind of the facts. It's like, hey, I I I don't want to why buy I can lease, I can lease a running back for six or seven years, and then I'll just I'll turn the car in, I'll get another one. It sounds that's callous. Good. I hate
1: saying it, but that's just the way teams are looking at it. That is it. And then the only thing that I would say to the running backs that are, I would say, complaining about that, right? Josh Jacobs, Saquon Barkley were drafted in the first round. Those deals, based on like Comparatively to other rookies, are significant deals because they were first-round picks. Now it wasn't like top of the market, you know, quarterback money, whatever. But it was that, and then you get back-to-back franchise tags was still top of the market stuff. I would say the issue that I would have if I'm a running back is people go hard at the running backs, but they don't talk about the complimentary receivers. And so mm-hmm. I could see where if you're the Las Vegas Raiders and you're Josh Jacobs looking at that team and you look into your right in the huddle, and Hunter Renfro is making $15 million, and you're stuck at 10. Yeah, that would be the part that I was like, hold on, wait a minute. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Why are we so quick to give out all the money to the receivers? I think that's where it is. It's about the playmaker. You want to play the offensive playmakers' significant money. And so everyone just needs to make sure that the money that you're giving out, you're giving (laughs) out to the right guys that can produce and produce over time.
0: Yeah, and maybe with... You know, the advances we've seen and being able to take care of yourself, take care of your body, um, that we'll see more longevity. But I think there's too many examples. Oh, uh, it's in killed the last them. Now, look, they can
1: they can be mad, but the people that they need to be mad at are not the general managers per se. Yeah. It should if be Todd
0: Gurley, if Todd Gurley, Todd Gurley worked C. out, Elliot, you
1: know, uh Le'Veon Le'Veon Bell, Bell, yeah. All, like those deals in secession mm-hmm. killed the market because it didn't. Yeah. It didn't play out right. It it didn't age. It aged like yeah. like bad milk. And so yeah. that's that's the issue. And that's why it's gonna be really, really difficult for them to do it. Because until you're able to pay somebody and they play, even Christian McCaffrey, who I love, like yeah. after he got paid, he had two injury more seasons. Mm-hmm. He hadn't been injured like that before when it was when it was time to pay him. And so it's it's just one of those things with the position.
0: So to summarize kind of my feelings on it. I don't blame the running backs at all for trying to push and bully their way into an extension. I don't blame them. You can push and you can bully. We saw it work with Kyler Murray. We saw Kyler Murray, uh, Eric Burkhardt, his agent put out the all caps. Remember that? The all caps Mm -hmm. letter. And he got, and you know what? They had some leverage because if your quarterback doesn't show up, it's hard to win games. And you know, they, they had some leverage there. Now, it ended up being the right move because we've seen the stock for Kyler Murray due to injury and other reasons mm-hmm. completely tank. So they were smart to push them to get a deal done now, but they had some leverage as a quarterback. You just do not carry that same leverage as a running back. It just, it, it doesn't
1: happen. It doesn't work that way. It, it doesn't work that way. And it's one of the things that you have to understand. And also like, I don't think people pay close attention to the new CBA and what the CBA did when it came to holdouts and all that can't do it. You're it it wiped away all the leverage. Even Chris Jones, he's not a running back, but Chris Jones from the Kansas City Chiefs, like, man, it's great you can withhold your services, but you're in the contract. It's 50K a day, and we no longer have the ability to wipe away your fines. So whatever you fines, you're having to write that check. And so it's one of the things. It's in the CBA. When you have a collective bargaining agreement, great general managers understand all of it, and they will use the vehicles to their advantage. And so for running backs, look, man, you can let – Uh, us on the media side do all the kicking and screaming for you. But when it comes down to it, there is nothing that Josh Jacobs and Saquon Barkley can do to make the Giants or the Raiders pay them what they want. It's nothing they can do. It's it's done. You got to take the deal when the deal was on the table. It's unfortunate, but we all sometimes have to make concessions. They didn't do it. So now they have to play on the tag. There's not another option.
0: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So, It's been a popular uh, topic of conversation of late for sure. Uh, Two quick things on the college front, Buck, as we uh, come to a close here. I've got the first look series is out. I've got, uh, gosh, there's Jared Verse. You can find that on Mm NFL.com. Did his write-up from Florida State. Uh, Caleb Williams, a talented uh, quarterback from USC. That one's out. Marvin Harrison Jr. is out, the wide receiver from Ohio State. I just finished up Brock Bowers. I think that'll come out tomorrow. Um, And then I have Drake May left. So kind of kind of wrap up that little mini series I do on some of these top college guys, a couple that we haven't talked about yet with Marvin Harrison and Brock Bowers, Marvin Harrison, as good as what what you would thought, you know, when you casually watch a guy, you never know. Then you really dig in and see, okay, what does this look like? Elite, elite ball skills. He's a lot stronger and a lot bigger than his dad. Uh, He's not quite as shifty and as quick as his dad. Obviously, he's a bigger guy, Mm -hmm. but graceful when the ball is up in the air. And uh, and then he's physical and strong after the catch. There's one uh, there's an adjustment. I can't remember the game, Buck. it's a back shoulder throw. He's up in the air. He twirls around and catches it. And then he's on a 360 hits with his feet pointing towards the end zone, hits the feet, hits the ground and goes. I'm like, okay, that's just, that's some freaky, some freaky ball skill stuff there. Uh, I still think you could see him from throughout the season. He got more polished as a route runner as the year went along. He's just getting better and better and better. And from all the stuff I get out of Ohio State, he's a maniac worker who's obsessed. I don't see how this
1: kid's not a great player. I got even more for you. So you would think that a guy who has a Hall of Fame dad at the same position that he plays would spend a lot of his time working with his dad. The guy who has really helped Marvin Harrison Jr. You remember Kevin Johnson? the former quarterback at Syracuse that played for a long time in the league with the Mm
0: -hmm. Cleveland
1: Browns. Evidently, he has been the guy that has worked with them for a long time. Years ago when Marvin Harrison was coming through the Nike tour, I remember it might have been at the Jets facility. He comes through whatever. Kevin Johnson's there because he's in Jersey, so they've always done it. And because Kevin has the ability to do the talking, you know, sometimes like, you know, like your kids don't come to you for advice in certain things, even though you're like, dude, like, you know, this is my wheelhouse, but whatever. Kevin Johnson has played a pivotal role in kind of helping him with the training. This is it, man. He's a really good kid, a great player. And DJ, man, you just see the size difference between he and his dad. But you know, all that Hall of Fame talent is right there in the bloodlines. I mean, mm-hmm. to me, he's an easy evaluation. He is terrific as a playmaker. He, he
0: is absolutely. Now, the one thing, if you look at all those recent Ohio State guys, in terms of just like suddenness and quickness in and out of breaks, like Garrett Wilson can do some things in that department mm-hmm. that that he can't do. Smith and Jigba is really quick too. Different style receiver. He is a kind of play above the rim, go down the field attack uh, type type yeah. player. He's going to be good after the catch because he's fast and he's strong. He doesn't have quite as much
1: wiggle as those,
0: as those other guys.
1: Well, he's different yeah. than most of the other Ohio State receivers that have come out. Most of those guys yeah. have been, I mean, six foot, six one, right in that he's a bigger, yeah. bigger body, yeah. different, but. Look, this would be a huge year for him. I mean, we've already talked about him. People have been pegged as a top 10 talent if he elects to come out. I mean, he is a number one. It's an easy evaluation in terms of when we talk about a wide receiver one, that's how you want your wide receiver one to look like. I mean, size, talent, playmaking ability. He has all those things.
0: He kind of reminded me a little bit of a mix of A.J. Green with A.J. Green's kind of acrobatics up in the air. And then but the strength wise now he's not he's probably a few pounds lighter, but Andre Johnson, how he kind of played. I think he's got some kind of a blend, a little nice little mix of those two stud receivers.
1: Man, that's a nice that's nice comparison.
0: Yeah, he's that's it's big time dudes. And then uh, Brock Bowers, again, that one should be out tomorrow. Um not, not, you know, it's a different body type for a tight end. So he's going to be He's listed at setting six, four. I think he's probably going to come in lower, low six threes this is what it looks like eyeballing on tape. Um, you know, 240 pounds maybe, 235, 240 pounds, built almost more like an H than uh, than like a true in ground hand-in-the-ground, ground Y tight mm-hmm. end, but as a player, it reminds me of Kittle just because of how strong he is, how fast he is. He's a little even a little bit faster than George, who ran really well. He's ultra-competitive as a blocker. A lot of it's from, you know, he's detached, and he's kind of comboing up to line, linebackers. You see him get out in space and get after guys. He's not going to be, you know – I think some of the knocker, the concern is going to be, OK, as an inline wide tight end in the run game, is he just big enough, long enough to be able to to dominate in that area? Maybe not, but he'll compete. And to me, you're going to want him detached anyways. And then what he does after the catch is what makes him special. They put him in the backfield buck. They give him
1: tight end sweeps. They'll, they'll split him out wide, give him,
0: you know, uh, jet sweeps, you name it. They just get the ball in his hands and that's when the fun starts.
1: It's not fair. It's not fair for someone to have all those tools. Uh, the thing that he comes from way out here, goes to Georgia, uh, mm-hmm. falls into like a a starting position. You look at that tight end room that they had, man. How they could hit you with so many different types of playmakers yeah. at the position, uh, man. He he's that guy. And DJ, you think about like what he can do. He he kind of reminds me of. You remember how you used to perceive Jeremy Shockey when he came out of Miami, yeah, yeah. And how Shockey was. Look, he was an inline tight end, in, but really, man, he was kind of like the H-back tight. Could get down the seams, was explosive and dynamic. And his first couple of years in New York, he was tearing it up. Yeah, I see Bowers do a lot of those same things.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm going to pull it up right now just because I, I was Shockey like six five. How tall was Jeremy Shockey? Jeremy Shockey, let's pull this up here. Uh, he's listed at six. Wikipedia has him at six five, Buck. Uh, yeah. So maybe 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 six four and change, just a little bit taller. But this guy has some of that same type of edge to him, you know. Shocky when the ball was in his hands, like kind of that refused to go down, refused to be tackled. Type old stuff. school, yeah, yeah old he, school. He, he's, Terri- he's got that. This dude, I mean, he might he's gonna run low four four. He can he can roll. He looks like the fastest
1: guy in the field out there. He's a playmaker, man. He's so good, man. And you just think about these positions and the tight ends and just the way the game is changing and how these guys can run routes like wide receivers, but still have the ability to block like a an offensive tackle. It's such a freaky uh, position. And we're seeing so many of these different body types begin to emerge and have success immediately in the new.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Um, All right. Well, this has been a fun episode. I do want to tell tell you, uh, I cannot remember the gentleman's name, but somebody when I got off a ship in Ketchikan, Alaska. Said uh, DJ, and I came over and said, yeah, how's it going? He said, oh, I tell Buck, I said, What's up, man? I love love listening to the podcast or whatever. So we've got some podcast listeners that are out and about traveling. We're, we're everywhere, man. They, so you got a fan, you got a Bucky Brooks fan in Ketchikan, Alaska. Uh,
1: no, that's fun, man. It, it's always fun. Like when you're out and about, I was in uh, Chicago a weekend ago and the people coming up talking about the podcast and those things. Those things always kind of catch me because I always think yeah. podcast audio, but then the video. and all I think the stuff. reason
0: why it works though is because. We've never tried to 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 do anything that was for clicks or downloads or shock jock. We look at our pod as just me and you, buddies who have a connection chopping through football, just yeah. chopping it up. And there's a lot of people out there, as we've learned over the years, that enjoy that. You know, take all the other nonsense and all the all that fluff and hot takery that's not us man but people feel like they know us and they feel like they're our friends in it and and we feel the same way because it is just it's a fun it's a fun place for us to chop it up talk football what's going on and and uh what we expect to happen so it's uh it's why i love this so much we're coming up on a thousand episodes buck i think this is episode 970
1: that's so crazy man it's so crazy we talk about like almost 10 years in the game uh it's bananas to think about
0: Yeah, that's pretty wild. We'll celebrate 1K when we get there. Uh, Shout out to Nabil for holding everything down. Uh, Appreciate Marcus stepping in for me uh, while I was out last week. We are getting ready to get training camp fully cranked up. We'll be out in the road, but we'll have you covered here with all our pods. As we get towards the season, uh, we'll get back into doing three a week as well. So be on the lookout for that. In the meantime, we appreciate you, and we'll see you next time right here on Move the Sticks.